greatness of your authority. Oh Allah, we do not limit you with any praise we can come up with ourselves. Rather, we admit that you are the only one who knows the true extent of your praiseworthiness. And may the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon his servant and his messenger, our master Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon him and upon his noble companions and upon his pure wives and upon his mubarak and blessed family and project. Day of judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who sent his Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a mercy, sent him as a mercy to the world, rahmatulil alameen. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if you read the account of his first experiences carrying the responsibility and the burden of risala of prophethood, of the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you read the first chapter of Sahih Bukhari, which is literally named Babu Kefa Bada Al Wahyu, the chapter with regards to how the creation, or sorry, how the revelation began, you will see that Rasulullah started with a process of purification. He started with a process of detoxification. He would go to the Ghar of Hira, which is some distance from the Haram, some distance from the Kaaba Mu'avvama, and he would go up this mountain, uh, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and, and, and take provision with him, and sit in this cave, and he would contemplate and meditate and worship Allah Taala in a way that is known between him and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and he would stay in this, in this contemplative retreat, in this contemplative retreat for as much time as he was able to until his provisions ran out and he was forced to come back down the mountain you can imagine Rasulullah wasn't eating a great amount of food and so he would make whatever he had stretch out as long as possible and when he had to come back down Rasulullah would come back down restock his provisions and then go back to his contemplative retreat during this time he would see dreams. Allah Ta'ala would show him dreams with regards to what would come ahead. But those dreams were just that, they were only dreams. And the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, interestingly enough, it's a, hadith, it's a sahih hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, all of the branches of Nubu'a, of prophethood, all of them end with me, except for what? The true dream that is seen by a righteous man of my ummah. Except for a true dream which is seen by a righteous man of my ummah. And in a riwayah he said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that what? That that is 146th part of prophethood. This is one of the miracles of the Prophet sallallahu that he said this. Because when he said it he was alive, he didn't know when he was going to die. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How long was his nubuwa? Anyone who has a cursory familiarity with the seerah knows that he was a nabi for what? 23 years. And he saw these dreams and would be in this contemplative retreat for how long? Six months. Six months divided by 23 years is what? It's 146. Rasulullah would go to this place and worship Allah Ta'ala and he would do without this dunya. Brothers and sisters, I know that amongst you there are people who work jobs, Amongst you there are people with degrees, with education, with businesses that you've worked hard to develop, with houses that you have worked hard to pay for, that you have worked hard to make beautiful, that you've made, worked hard to make comfortable. 
Part of the aqidah of the Muslims is what? As Rasulullah said, Al-umuru bil khawatim. All things will be judged according to the way that they end. Tell me something. What's going to happen to your houses? What's going to happen to your degrees? What's going to happen to your cars? What's going to happen to your businesses? What's going to happen to your body? What's going to happen to your life? What's going to happen to your wife? What's going to happen to your children and their children and their children one day? What's going to happen to this masjid? What's going to happen to the Kaaba itself? What's going to happen to this entire material world? Do you know? Do you have an idea what's going to happen to all of it? All of it will end one day. All of it will perish one day. All of it will be gone one day. This is part of the hikmah of Nubu'a. That what? The deen and the dunya are like two co-wives. If you make one of them happy, the other one will necessarily be upset with you. You have to get along with both of them. But the more you make one of them happy, necessarily, the more the other will be upset with you. So what is Rasulullah doing? He's cleansing himself, he's purging his system from the afar of this dunya, from the connection to the danas, to the pollution, to the dirt and the filth of this dunya. Now someone says, oh look at this guy, he's gonna get up and talk about how the dunya is filthy and polluted. I know he also lives in a house. He also has money in his pocket. He also eats lunch and dinner and breakfast like everybody else does. Maybe he eats even more than everybody else does. But he gets up and tells people uh, about how filthy the dunya is. And maybe the simple-minded amongst the congregation will accept it because they just are gullible people. But I know better. Brothers and sisters, what is the dunya? The dunya is every part of this physical and material world which is not part of your deen. So that dollar, I apologize, we don't use dollars here anymore, right? That rand that you spend on coming to, you know, filling gas in your tank or on an Uber or a taxi or on a bicycle or on shoes that you use to come to the masjid. That's not part of the dunya. That rand will live with you forever, I promise you. You will see it. It will live with you forever. You will enjoy it. You'll admire how beautiful it is forever. One day by Allah Ta'ala's fadl, bi'ibnillahi tabarak wa ta'ala. What is it that rand you spend to feed your wife? to feed your children, to take care of your parents, to give sadaqah to the, the, the masakin who Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa love. You want to follow a sunnah? MashaAllah, everybody knows keeping beard is a sunnah. You know what else is a sunnah? Is the love of the poor. The love of the masakin. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa made dua, Ya Allah, keep giving me this love of the masakin. And give me the company of the masakin. Now we, you know, we treat poverty as if it's an infectious disease. We don't want to touch someone who's poor with a ten-foot pole. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, "Ya Allah, give me the love of these masakin, and give me the company of these masakin." And what did he say? He said, "Make me a miskin. Tell me who loves the sunnah right now. He's going to stand up and 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 and, and face the direction of the qibla." and open his heart in front of Allah Ta'ala and say, I love the sunnah of the Prophet Growing beard is, is easier, just don't cut it. Who here is brave enough and, and is the, the, the believer, the son of a believer who is going to say that, I love the sunnah of Rasulullah that's what I want. There are people in this masjid who will do it. They may not stand up because they don't want to show off. It's a secret between them and Allah Ta'ala. It's a secret of their ishq and their mahabba and their love of Allah Ta'ala. But what happens for your own children, everybody is scared. 
Guess what? What was Rasulullah scared about? This is a hadith of the Prophet وسلم, a Sahih hadith that Bahrain, now Bahrain is like this little tiny island nation. In the old days, like according to the classical geography of the Arabian Peninsula, Bahrain is everything from Basra to Oman. So the Emirates, Qatar, Ahsa, uh, all of these places are all part of what was classically called Bahrain. So the people of Bahrain, the, the Christians of Bahrain, they accepted the suzerainty of the, uh, of the uh, Sahaba radiallahu anhum, and they sent money in the form of tribute to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Of the people of the Ansar and Muhajirin and Medina Munawwara, the, the companions of the Messenger of Allah, they're very poor people. If you read about their, uh, you know, read about their lives, they used, to, uh, they used to get by on one date and two dates. Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha mentions that a woman came with two children. And she asked for sadaqah. And imagine this is Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And she, she was asked for sadaqah and she, all she could give in sadaqah is one date. Can you imagine that? All she could give in sadaqah is one date. She said, I gave this woman a date, Ya Rasulullah, and I saw her do something completely amazing. She took the date and split it in half. Both of her children were crying. She split it in half, gave one half to one child and one half to another child. And she herself stayed hungry. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa this firmness of this woman and, and, and her responsibility in taking care of her children, he praised it and made dua for her. These are not people who are wealthy. These are not people who are financially benefiting through Islam. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa what was his dua? Ya Allah, give me the... Love of the, the, the love of the company of the masakin. Give me the love of the masakin and make me a miskin. Miskin doesn't just mean a poor person, by the way. The general word for a poor person, person who's suffering poverty, is what? It's faqir. In Arabic, miskin is the person who wakes up in the morning and doesn't know how, where he's going to eat from today. Doesn't know how he's going to make it through his day. Some of us are like, everyone wants to believe they're poor. I'm poor, you're poor. MashaAllah, this is a common pastime. I'll admit it to you that many of the ulama oftentimes complain about how poor they are. Even though Allah feeds all of us every day, He feeds us actually more than He feeds you people, to be very honest with you. The miskeen is the one who doesn't know where am I going to eat from today. Rasulullah made that dua for himself. And what, did his, what was his fear for the ummah? Because all of us, إِلَّا مَنْ رَحِمَ رَبُّهُ رَحْمَةً خَاصَّةً Except for the one who Allah Ta'ala has a very special mercy on them. Very special mercy on them. What is it? We're concerned about the money. Where is it going to come from? So this Bahrain, the tribute is coming to Medina. From where Bahrain? From Medina Munawwara. To Medina Munawwara, excuse me. And the Sahaba crowd the masjid that morning. Not that they didn't used to come to the masjid all the time anyway, but there are other masajid that they used to pray in. That day because they knew the money is coming into, uh, uh, from the tribute from Bahrain, and they were all in severe need. They're in severe need, dire need, hunger. People, they had old people, they had all sorts of needs, necessities. So they came to the masjid, the central masjid of the Prophet ﷺ in great numbers. Rasulullah smiled at them. He says, I think you heard the news that Abu Ubaidah is coming from Bahrain with the tribute. He says, don't worry, take glad tidings. We will give everybody however much they want, all of your needs will be taken care of. And then he said something very amazing. What did he say? He says, he says, he says, he says, Inni la aksha alaykum al-faqar. Innama aksha alaykum al-dunya. Rasulullah 
وان تهلككم كما اهلكتهم او كما قال عليه الصلاه والسلام Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was described in the book of Allah ta'ala as النبي أولى بالمؤمنين من أنفسهم وأزواجه أمهاتهم عليه الصلاة والسلام All the believers in them al-mu'minun al-ikhwa The believers are described by the book of Allah ta'ala Just so you don't ask me who is the narrator or is the hadith is sahih or not This is the Qur'an The believers are nothing except for full brothers and sisters to one another the Prophet ﷺ, his wives, according to the Book of Allah Ta'ala, are the mothers of the believers. As for Rasulullah ﷺ, to say that he has the concern for you like your father does, this is an understatement, that's why it wasn't said. Rather, the ibadah that's used by the Qur'an is what? Is anfusihim. The Nabi has more right over a person than his own nafs. He's literally more concerned about every believer than that believer is concerned with for themselves. Many parents, you see your children growing up, and there are times when you see your daughter, your son, and you, want, you have concern for what's good for them, and you see that they, you know, they don't care, and it's hard, it's tough. There's no loving mother, and there's no uh, loving father that has more concern for any of the believers more than Rasulullah That's why they used to address him. Bi wa ummi ya Rasulullah. Fidaka abi wa ummi ya Rasulullah. That, oh Allah, may my mother and father be sacrificed for you. Meaning, look how much they love me. I know culturally it's a different context now. People don't love their children, people don't love their parents anymore. So imagine there was a time and place where people used to love their parents and love their children more than they loved material wealth. In that context, they used to say, may my mother and my father be sacrificed for you, O Messenger of Allah. What did he say? He said, I'm not afraid of poverty for you. You know how we stay up at night if my kid doesn't have a degree, if his business doesn't take off, if they don't drive this type of car, then this class of people will not get married with them, and then this will happen. And that will happen. He said, I don't care about any of those things. Those things don't bother me. Not only that, there's a hadith in Sahih Bukhari. Can you imagine this? You want to follow the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam? Here's a sunnah to follow. So, Allahumma ja'al rizq ali muhammadin qutan. Oh Allah, this is a hadith of Bukhari, wallahi. Oh Allah, he made dua. Make dua and spread your hands in front of the Lord on this Mubarak hour of Jumu'ah. Oh Allah, make the rizq, make the provision of the family of Muhammad, the Alu Muhammad. Qutan, ya'ni ma yusaddu bihi ramku. Just enough to stave off hunger. Parent, did he not care for his own family? And this is something, by the way, Alu Muhammad is not just the, the genetic family of the Prophet ﷺ. But there's another hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said, Alu Muhammadin kullu taqiyin. Every person who fears Allah is from the people of Muhammad ﷺ. Linguistically, the word Al can, doesn't necessarily mean relative, right? Like Allah Ta'ala says in his book, he says, Adkhulu Ala Fir'aun Ashadda Al-Adab. It doesn't mean Fir'aun's relatives, it means the people who followed Fir'aun, right? So what was his du'a for his, for his near and dear ones? Both in lineage and in spiritual connection. What was it? Is that this dunya don't, Ya Allah, don't get them dirtied with this dunya. Just give them enough that they can get by, so they can do what they're really here for. So Rasulullah wasallam, what did he do? Before even he received the wahi, he purged all of these things. He purged all of these things. Why? Because 
once this clutter and this noise is out of the way, the heart is like a mirror. Once it's polished and shined, and there's no more obstruction in, in, in its way anymore. That's when a person's angelic spirit will be able to take its, its place as uh, this ruhani and nurani, spiritual and illuminated, radiant and resplendent being that Allah Ta'ala gave each and every one of us the ability to be. And after that, the dunya is no longer something you seek. Rather, the dunya is a tool through which you seek the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. The dunya is a tool by which you seek the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. Every preacher will tell you about why the akhirah is more important than the is more important than the akhirah. Because in the akhirah you cannot give sadaqah anymore. In the akhirah you cannot, the guy who's walking through the, 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 the lanes of the street and stops you and you know, ask for food, I'm hungry, and you can't give them anymore. You can't take care of them anymore. You can't find an orphan and put your head on, hand on his head and says, you're a good kid, you'll be okay. You cannot feed a, a, a relative, you cannot feed a hungry person, you cannot educate a person. You can't do any of these things anymore. Because this world is action without consequence. And the next world is consequence without action. So in one way, this world is more important than the next one. If you want to move up, this is the time you have to do it. It's a very limited time offer. How and why are you in this opulent masjid? Literally in the most remote corner, corner of the world. This area, it was one of the last places in the earth that human civilization has even simple things like agriculture. The only place that gets agriculture after uh, the, the southern extremity of Africa is what? Is Australia and Tasmania, New Zealand. Why is it Allah brought us here? How did we get here? Are we here so that we can make tanafus, we can compete with the kuffar? In order to build our houses like they built houses, cars, in order to uh, uh, dress like they dress, in order to talk like they talk, and in order to beat them at their own game. Brothers and sisters, we don't like that game. We're not playing that game. Rasulullah wasn't playing that game. That, we're not here for a game. Do you think we created you? Just like without any meaning, without any purpose? It's not why we're here. The happiness of our forefathers in deen. Some of us may be new to Islam, but still your forefathers in deen are the people who carried this message from heart to heart and from spirit to spirit until it reached you and I. And the ironic... Allah Ta'ala gave it to some of them. The ones who got it didn't care and the ones who didn't get it didn't because the kingship is not the kingship of this world. This is a carnival of two or three days. It's going to be over. Everything, its reality can be judged by how it's going to end. You know it's going to end. You know your life is going to end. You know your property is going to end. You know the human race is going to end one day. You don't have to read a surah of the Quran or a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ to know that. Even an atheist who denies the most self-evident truth, which is the existence of Allah Ta'ala. All of this cannot have come from nowhere because nothing comes from nowhere. Even the person who denies that most self-evident of truths will not joust with you and will not argue with you about this fact that all of this is going to disappear one day. وَيَبْقَى وَجْهُ رَبِّكَ ذِي الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ The only thing that will survive, the only thing that lasts forever is the countenance of your Lord, possessed of majesty and of, of, of honor. جَلَّ وَعَلَى Their happiness was in what? 
their happiness was in the love of Allah Ta'ala and their happiness was in the service of Allah Ta'ala. Now this is a really strange concept. How is it Allah created the heavens and the earth from nothing? He doesn't need anything from you and I. How is it that we can make His service? You know, if I want to serve a person, I want to serve my father, I want to serve my teacher, my shaykh, what will I do? I'll, you know, like uh, uh, g- g- massage his head when he has a headache. I'll go wash his car for him. My mother, if I want to, I'll go do the dishes and clean the kitchen. I'll cook a meal for her. Uh, you, you can do these things for you. What are you going to do for Allah Ta'ala? There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that will tell you what you're going to do for Allah Ta'ala. Rasulullah said that Allah Ta'ala on the Day of Judgment, he'll ask, he'll ask a person who's going to be judged. Who is it? It's all of us. He'll ask them. He'll say, oh son of Adam. He said that I was hungry and I asked you for food and you didn't feed me. The person, which is a very natural reaction, will say, how can I feed you, Ya Allah, and you're the Lord of the worlds. He said, Did you see, didn't you see that my slave so-and-so was hungry and he asked you for food? Didn't you know if you fed, fed him at that time, you would have found me? So, oh son of Adam, I was sick. The first, I apologize, the order I, the order I, I uh, did incorrectly. The first thing that was mentioned, I was sick and you didn't visit me. So, yeah, yeah Allah, how can I visit you when you're sick? And you're the Lord of the worlds. How can you even be sick? It doesn't make sense. He said, didn't you know my slave so-and-so was sick? Didn't you know if you visited him, you would have found me there? And then he says what? He says that my, he mentions, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. And then he says, how can I feed you when you're the Lord of the worlds? And uh, Allah Ta'ala says what? That didn't you know my servant so-and-so was, was what? He was hungry and he asked you for food and you didn't feed him. Didn't you know that if you had fed him, you would have found me there? And the most amazing out of all of them is the third one. It says, O oh, son of Adam, I was thirsty. I asked you for water and you didn't give me to drink. So, oh, uh, he says, O oh, my Lord, that man will say, O oh, my Lord, how can I give you water to drink when you're the Lord of the world? How much does it cost to give someone water? If you buy a water bottle, how much does a water bottle cost? I don't know. I mean, I haven't, I haven't changed any money yet, spent any money here. I'm still functioning on dollars, right? You get 50 cents if you buy it in a cheap place, a dollar if you buy it in an expensive place. How many is it? What? 10 rand for a bottle of water? Forget about that, right? The hadith doesn't mention a bottle of water. It just mentions giving a thirsty person water. To get water from the tap is literally like half a cent per gallon. You know water fountains? Do you know who invented water fountains? Here's a little clue. It's not people from France and England. They didn't care. It doesn't occur to them to help other people. They're the ones who woke up in the morning and they plotted and schemed with one another. How can we rob the entire world naked, blind? And they did it. And they did it well. Nobody else until the Yom Qiyamah will be able to do it as good as they did. And if anyone else who does it, just like if you want to be good, you have to follow the sunnah of the Prophet you're going to be a crook. These guys are your salaf salih, you follow the sunnah. Who invented the water fountain? It's this ummah, because they heard hadith like this. So people would do that. They would have a, 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 a canal cut, and people could drink, animals could drink. No one asks you, are you Muslim, not Muslim? You make wudu, you drink water, you wash, whatever. Why? Because they know a day is going to come when the Rabb Tabaraka wa Ta'ala is going to ask, O oh, son of Adam, I was thirsty and you didn't give me to drink. And you say, how can I give you to drink and you're the Lord of the world? Said, Don't you know that if you had my slave so-and-so was thirsty and asked you for something to drink? Didn't you know if you gave him something to drink, you would have found me? You would have found me? This opportunity is here. Look at this. Look at this place that we're 
And it's really, it's the opportunities everywhere. I come from America. Don't think everyone in America is like uh, Hollywood and uh, Beverly Hills and driving nice cars and whatnot. Much of the parking lot of this masjid is probably more glamorous than the parking lot of the masjid I usually pray, Jumu'ayin. And on top of that, you have places in America, like I live in Chicago. Chicago is a murder capital of the United States. It's a murder capital of the United States. If a murder, like one murder happens, it doesn't even make the news anymore. You have, you know, you have to have like three, four people killed, then it becomes newsworthy. It's not typical of America, but there are certain parts of the city that are very dangerous. Those parts of the city, guess who doesn't have a problem walking through those parts of the city? People who look like me, people who look like you. Why? Because they know that there are people who've been coming from the 60s and the 70s, they wear turbans, they have beards, their women uh, cover, and if someone asks for food, they give them food. Someone asks for water, they give them water. They're not trying to sell drugs. They're not trying to, they're not trying to get into fights with people. They're not trying to take things from people. They want to give. So for that reason, even a person who's not a Muslim, when you walk by in those neighborhoods, they'll stand up and say, Assalamu Alaikum. I'm sure that this is the case in certain places in South Africa as well. This is the case I've traveled in so many places in the world. I've been to Colombia. Colombia is a, uh, a, uh, a country in South America. There are neighborhoods even in Colombia, if you go there after Maghrib time, you'll get robbed. Even if someone is in the process of robbing you, once they realize you're a Muslim, they'll leave you alone. Why? Because the Ummah of the Prophet is not here to take from people. It's here to give. There are certain people from the Ahlullah, there are certain people from the awliya of Allah Ta'ala who understood this and they implemented it. And certain ones of them did this to our forefathers, that's why we're in deen. Now is the time, don't be just a scrounge, a beggar that you take, take, take and you don't give anything back. Now is the time that the generosity of those people visited on our forefathers that brought us into the fold of the deen. Now is the time for us to revisit that generosity. Don't say because I don't own a big business or I don't have a BMW or I don't have a, a, you know, a degree in medicine or law or engineering that you know, this is the job of the rich people. What did the Prophet ﷺ teach the Sahaba? Right? Save your face from the fire even if through half of a date in Salaqah. The Sahaba were broke. They were poor people during the time of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and rapidly they became extremely wealthy afterward. It's the practices you do when you're poor that make you generous when you're wealthy. And the one who's stingy and miserly when he's poor, when he becomes wealthy, he's going to continue that. He's going to continue that practice. He's not going to become generous at that time because true generosity is given وَأَنْتَ صَحِيحٌ شَحِيحٌ That you're in good health, but you have nothing to give. And you are in such a delicate position right now, small things that you do may make you rich and uh, uh, small expenditures may make you poor. It could all balance, hang in the balance, even then the Prophet said, this is not a time to run away from sadaqah, this is the time to give. So brothers and sisters, to wrap up, this dunya, don't let it dirty you inside, you weren't made for it. Allah Ta'ala made a maqam for you forever and ever in His rida, with His awliya, in His pleasure with the ones that He loves. You will never be hungry there, you will never be thirsty there, there is no uh, violence there, there is no fear there, there is no hunger, no animosity, no hatred. None of those things happen there. That's what, that was made for you, you were made for that. Inshallah, all of us will go by one, one day by Allah's fadl, inshallah. Say Ameen. Inshallah, all of us will go. I know a number of preachers have made a career for themselves by scaring the daylights out of people, but the fact of the matter is this La ilaha illallah is very powerful. There's nothing that can stand in front of it. Inshallah, all of us will make it there. 
So carry yourself with the dignity that that's, that's where you're going. Don't feel afraid. You, you're go, you'll go inshallah. Feel afraid that you'll lose it. But as long as you have it held, while you're holding it, don't feel any fear. You'll go there. Don't pollute yourself. Now Allah gave you the status. He made you beautiful. Don't make yourself ugly with, with, with losing sleep over this dunya for yourself and for your children. Don't lose sleep. Rather take it. And the person whose heart is illuminated with the light of Allah's love, that person wants to make the entire world shine. Go, when you leave this masjid, say, I'm going to smile at the next person I meet. Be he or she, a Muslim, non whoever it is, I'm going to smile at them. I'm going to the next person who asks me for something, I'm going to give them. I'm going to feed a person, even if they're a drag, drug addict, even if it's a prostitute, even if God knows whoever, that's their business between them and Allah Ta'ala, I'm going to feed them. Do these, do these things, do these small things. Through these things, people, their hearts will open up to La ilaha illallah. And remember the last thing I want to say, inshallah, before ending is that the Prophet described this dunya as like a ship. Don't think that just because you're Muslim, you have it made and you don't need to worry about anybody else. Why? In the hereafter, judgment is done on an individual basis. In this world, it's like you're on a ship. If the ship sinks, Rasulullah literally said, He said, In halaku halaku jami'an, wa in najaw, najaw jami'an. That if we are destroyed, don't think that the people who live in the houses around you, the neighborhoods around your neighborhood, be it richer or poorer, don't think that, that you'll be okay if they get destroyed. You're gonna go, they're gonna take you down with them. And on the flip side, you should be, uh, uh, you should be, uh, avid for their benefit. Because if they make it, you'll make it with them as well. Allah Ta'ala give us the success of this world and the hereafter. Wasallallahu tabaraka wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Barakallahu feekum. Please inshallah read your sunnahs.